0: You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui-Wallace. Welcome to the second half of our two-part interview with American actor, musician and social justice advocate, Penn Badgley. In case you missed it, here is a quick recap of the first half of our two-part interview.
1: You know, I wouldn't say currently that these like roles counter my spiritual beliefs. What they are is um, representative of a materialistic culture and they're interesting for us all because we live in such a materialistic age and playing these roles and able to talk about them in a certain way where it like encourages us to think about them, then I think it becomes interesting. So it all is like an allegory, it's all a metaphor. And that's actually what art is meant to be. Hopefully it, it encourages us all to reflect on ourselves. I mean, I was inside one of these detention centers, not at the border, but in Georgia, where I visited a woman named Vilma Carrillo. She's a Guatemalan immigrant. Unfortunately, I've actually never even, I've never touched Vilma. I've never shaken her hand or hugged her because when we met, we were separated by a plexiglass barrier. At the same time that my show about, about this toxic white dude who actually puts women and people and men in cages, the, the parallel is actually like so crazy intense. And you know, and then and then like it's painful to say because people don't want to use the but then murdering them. I find this law or ordinance that we have in the Baha'i Faith of non-involvement in partisan politics, it is it is one of the hardest laws for me, but also one that constantly, continually is always like just showering insight and wisdom.
0: To hear more from part one of this interview, please visit Bahaiteachings.org or search for Cloud9 on your podcast or SoundCloud app. In the second half of this two-part interview, we learn about how Penn's life and career has been transformed since discovering the Baha'i Faith. We also gain insight into the work he's most passionate about and what his hopes and plans are for the future. So following our conversation about how you discovered the Baha'i Faith, I'd love to now take the opportunity to learn about how your life and the lens through which you see the world has shifted since adopting the Baha'i Faith.
1: Uh, I mean, it's just, it just keeps becoming more accurate, hopefully more evident. Hopefully it's like, I, it's, a, it's all a work in progress. But I think, you know, one of the first principles of the faith is independent investigation of truth. And I feel like that's just what you keep doing once you become a Baha'i. You know, the things in the faith that challenge you, the the things in in these books that are very challenging because uh, inevitably something will be. Because we don't all have like the monopoly on truth, Mm. right? So when you discover something true that initially you don't want it to be true, maybe.
0: The way I see it is that we're, we're all kind of on this giant spectrum. Yeah. And we're all aware of our innate talents, our gifts, our capacities, our attributes that were given to us by the creator. And we're all striving to be our ultimate best selves because we know that we can be. But that's a lifelong goal that we are all and and journey that we're all on.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, every indication from the Baha'i writings is that that process Mm. never stops.
0: Yeah. And also in the Baha'i writings, bringing it back to art, the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, has stated that the true worth of artists and craftsmen should be appreciated for they advance the affairs of mankind. So I'm wondering, how does such a responsibility specifically influence your own creative practice as an artist? Yeah,
1: I think about that a lot. Like, not just the experience, because I think artists sometimes get really wrapped up in, like, the purity of their, of what they're making, but they forget that, like, you're actually meant to be making this for other people, too, and that there's a certain responsibility there. There needs to be a certain selflessness there. Um, Also, I don't think of myself as an artist at the level, like, I'm, you know, well-known and visible and all this stuff. It's not, I don't know, I don't think of myself really as an artist at that level I think like my spirit is that of an artist um but is it even responsible to like be I don't know like art once it's received by other people your your artistic expression once it's seen and experienced and explored by other people it's like you have to just I don't know you're maybe not even as much a part of the process anymore And then, of course, when you're making a television show, for instance, I mean, that's just like such high collaboration and compromise. You just, I mean, as an actor, it's like you didn't write the words, you didn't, you're not, they're not the clothes are not your own, you're not even really wearing your hair or, or you're, you're just, you're not really yourself, and Mm. you're just sort of giving expression to what you understand. Right, but like, not
0: everyone can do that. Like, I, I can't just go in front of a screen and pretend to be someone else that I'm not. It's it's a talent right. that you've been so, working in, and a craft that you've been working it, on your right, whole yeah, life and developing. And that in itself is an artistry. It
1: is. And that, so that is an artistry. And I think like, I guess what I was thinking about, though, is a difference between like the purity of just intimate artistic expression for yourself, which is almost more like prayer. You know, that's more like prayer and meditation. And then it's like, but how do you take it out into the world? And that's different. That's going to be professional. And you're going to have to make compromises there.
0: Right. You know, right. And
1: I, so I guess like the responsibility I think about. Um. I think about the, you know, the social level, moral responsibility of the way I'm bringing this content to life. And so I thought about that a lot with Joe and, you know, of course my acting coach at one point, she was like, well, if you're worried about that, then you sh- just, it's like, you can't control that. You shouldn't have taken the role. <laughs> and, and I, I think in a lot of ways she's right. Um, uh, and then at the same time, like, I don't know it's interesting to give expression to this stuff even as I have felt so conflicted about it and then and then invite people to talk about it and think about it differently. So you know, I don't know how to mm. sum up that responsibility. <laughs>
0: Maybe we can come back in a couple years time and and discuss your reflections.
1: Yeah, see what I've learned then. Yeah,
0: exactly. Now, I want to take this opportunity to talk about the various community and capacity building initiatives that Baha'is around the world, including yourself, are currently engaged in. So these processes respond to Baha'u'llah's vision and teachings surrounding the unification of the world, the protection of our environment, and other issues surrounding social justice, such as gender and racial equality, economic prosperity, access to education, and the list goes on. Now, I know that you're heavily involved in some of these initiatives in your own home community and are just as passionate, if not more passionate, about (laughs) them as you are about your work as an artist. So I'd love to learn more about how your belief in Baha'u'llah and your work as an artist translates to the community building work that you're currently engaged in.
1: Oh, yeah. So I live in Brooklyn, although I've I've been having this really interesting experience where I live in L.A. right now. I live in Silver Lake. So my community is kind of both or it's kind of here. Yeah, there's a
0: pretty big Baha'i community in L.A.
1: There is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bigger than in New York. And I've made some really lovely friendships out here and deepened friendships that I've had for years, like one of my longest friends. And it's and it's around one of these core activities that we engage in as Baha'is that are that are community and capacity building. Um, which is a devotional gathering, hosting a devotional gathering where people of all walks of life are invited into a home. in this case is my home. Some people there I'd met literally two weeks ago at a coffee shop. And then there was my friend who I've known for 20 years. And then everybody in between, you know, like people on the show with me, um, other Baha'is I've met, while this seems like a very small first step towards something like if we're talking about peace and unity on the earth, you know, the unification of humankind, how does something like this lead to that? And I think it's because as Baha'is we're thinking about, we're thinking the timescale of centuries, which requires a patience that not one individual has actually. It's more like the fact that we're galvanized by a worldwide community in a united effort um, by these series of global plans that are, that are that are issued by the Universal House of Justice and which are beautiful and leave nothing but room for creativity and individuality of expression and understanding of all of these things, right? Like, never as a Baha'i has anyone ever told me what to do, <laughs> which is like really interesting when it comes to any of the laws, when it mm, comes to any of the things. Sometimes
0: I bet you wish someone would tell you what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, really as I'm sometimes like, would you just tell me what to do? Cause like I have all this energy and I wanna do things. Like, can somebody please just tell me what to do? And I, and I get a lot of meaningful smiles and, and inward sighs and then suggestions that I should consult the writings myself, <laughs> you know, right. and maybe we can pray together. And, you know, that's that's always lovely. <laughs> but Sometimes I, I laugh like, so, you know, my, I don't know. I mean, it's like my, my ability to even speak to any of these matters of social justice when it comes to the equality of women and men, when it comes to racial equality, when it comes to I don't know anything I've spoken about on uh, in press. I think the only reason it's ever effective when anyone does these things is if when we mean them, and how can we mean something but maybe that we're like testing it in our lives? If it's just words, it amounts to nothing. I mean, I think every religious system says this. Baha'u'llah and the Baha'i writings are no different. That you know. It, words that end in words are fruitless. Like, it's just, it's a barren tree. There's nothing, there's, you know, you you could have the best of intentions, but if you don't do anything with them, then like, you know, what good could any of it be for? So I think the fact that, I don't know, thinking about like, like I'm always inviting people into my home, people I don't initially know, you know? Like, and they're men and women, they're black and white and and, uh, just, it's like all... Uh, you know, and why do I do that? Um, I think sometimes people are a bit disarmed and, or maybe even alarmed. <laughs> uh, I know initially sometimes my wife was. She's like, <laughs> "You, um, you're famous, and everybody wants to talk to you, and you're inviting them into our home."
0: <laughs> yeah, like who, who are all these people?
1: Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, But you know, it's been the basis of some of the most meaningful friendships I have now, you know? And it's also now enriching the friendships I've had for the longest, like I say, my friend of 20 years. it starts, I, the way that I've approached it is it often starts with devotional gatherings because then you find a, 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 a sort of a point of unity that we can all sort of reflect on. Maybe it's from the Baha'i writings, maybe it's a spiritual concept, maybe that day there's a lot of people who are struggling because of something we've seen in the news and people want to really talk about it. You know, the space can be, is so different every time and everybody really brings their own, their, their soul, their soul's expression. Increasingly, it's like we don't want to see that anybody has ownership of these spaces, that we all are contributing and participating, and that everybody is a protagonist. That is what is so essential about, about the Baha'i manner of service and this, this process that we're engaged in around the world, is that there is no one going anywhere to save anyone. That Every soul is empowered through their own consideration of the creative word of God and and through their own experience of understanding what we call God but we'll never truly know you know and 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 so so really it doesn't matter who identifies as bahai or not in any of these spaces what we do is we pray together to try and establish these maybe more progressive patterns of living where we're not like uh you know praise be to netflix they are my employers but like we're not just netflixing and chilling <laughs> um you know before we go to bed because like maybe the a more fruitful thing would be to reflect and meditate and to and to like think about what we're th- reflect on our day and maybe what we could have done better what we know we did well and ask god for help in doing that even better the next day um You know, and so if this, if if we're one of the things that I've been getting in touch with recently is like how all of these activities that we engage in, in a manner of service to others, is um, how much it ends up benefiting ourselves. It's this twofold moral purpose, where you know the individual, um, in serving others, is, is kind of uncovers and reveals that which is so essential to them and their unique ability to express that creatively whether it's literally through the arts or just in their lives and in their work and in their families. So, and then, and then from there, y- you are inspired to imagine things through your community, maybe right here on your own street in your own neighborhood or your own family that maybe you weren't thinking about before. And so we're establishing these new patterns of thought, which then, I mean, you know, by the grace of God can like establish new patterns of living. And what, what is it that is oppressing us in, but, these patterns of thought and living, which then manifest into systems. And these systems continue to to to, to hold us in the prevalent f- patterns of thinking and living so that we don't feel that we're able to speak to the person next to us on the train or the bus or in the Uber or, you know, at the cafe or whatever it might be. It's kind of like, to me, the imperative is that everybody begins seeing themselves as protagonists. I mean that's that's my understanding of of these community building activities and capacity building activities that we engage in around the world as Baha'is and in the purpose of the Baha'i writings, the purpose of the purpose of God manifesting on earth through these divine educators mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. giving us anything to read at all, any message to consider is that we Come to know ourselves. I even think that's in the Quran. I know it's in the Baha'i writings, but that, like you know, that knowing ourselves is equivalent to knowing God, and vice versa, and and right, and that and that that's the process that we're engaged in initially. So it's very intimate and very personal. Mm. And then that extends itself yeah. out into the social.
0: Absolutely. And we're, and we're talking about building capacity. And for the last few minutes, we've been speaking about devotional gatherings and you'd mentioned these core activities. So what are, could you just share a little bit more about these core activities and some of the other areas that Baha'is are building capacity in communities? Where
1: I've learned the most are in in children's classes and the junior youth spiritual empowerment program. I, I wouldn't begin to pretend that I know how to do these things (laughs) that, um, that like, you know, when we think about, we call ourselves animators of junior youth, if we're engaged in this process, like someone who is over the age of 15, whether they're in the stage of youth from 15 to 30 years old, or like me having just sort of exited that, um, at 32 years old, you know, like thinking about how to encourage people who are aged 12 to 15 years old, to think of themselves as agents of change.
0: As protagonists. To think of
1: themselves as protagonists, right. yes. In their communities, that they have a valuable, meaningful contribution to make to the world. And and believing that actually those souls at the age of 12 and 15 have a unique ability to recognize that and a unique fire to kindle <laughs> that, they, that they can stoke. And actually it can be the spearhead of great and sudden Inspiration in a in a community, um, and you know we we encourage these junior youth to learn how to recognize the positive and negative social forces, these processes of integration and disintegration in the world, and hoping ever more to align mm. ourselves with the integrative processes um, that 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 we can recognize in society and actually help to cultivate and and um, foster and strengthen. Uh, and we do, and another, another term that I love is what we're thinking about there is like learning how to read our social reality. So that's a very practical, uh, uh, material thing in a way. Um, you could even call it maybe psychological, but then, um, but then also such an essential part of this is learning how to detect breezes of confirmation. Um, uh, this is a term that I love as well, which means like you could, you could, you could actually think of this initially as the, as, as intuition as building the capacity of intuition, you know? Um, I, and I think it's like to, to, at the, at the risk of overstating, it's the same intuition that led Martin Luther King Jr. When, um, he had a written speech to go off book and say, I have a dream, you know, it's like we, 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 even those of us who cast aside all notions of spirituality seem to really value intuition, you know? it's our feelings it's a gut feeling and you combine it with the rational mind and the and 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 the 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 soul ever striving to have communion with this this unknowable kind of essence that we call god that all of this process altogether can can result in like um i don't know it's the beginning of a great personal transformation and and um, mm. and 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 if and if we can be thinking about this at 12 years old yeah I mean, my goodness, I, at 12, the things I was being introduced <laughs> to and the ideas about what it meant to, that I needed to be, uh, you know, a teenage boy and a hmm. man later, it was just <laughs> like, oh, such toxic ideas.
0: I know when we think about the perspective of wider society on this age group, it's quite negative. It's yeah, it's, we, we, it's not we, very empowering. Um, and, and we consider them as rebellious or um, compulsive or, you know, kind of ignoring authority. But in fact, they're just trying to figure out what their skills and talents and capacities are and how they fit into society and how to create positive choices. And they're looking for guidance and they're looking for mentorship. What, I, what,
1: I feel, what I've maybe been learning is that I think the reason that we characterize this period of, of youth that we call junior youth, this adolescent stage, if we characterize it as like a time of tumult, and um and great pain and irrationality i think it's because it's the first time we're coming into an awareness that our true identity which is the identity of the soul is being denied Mm. just like point blank by everyone in our lives more or less certainly by society Mm -hmm. and so so yeah we might become uh we might as we say act out you know i mean that i know that reflecting back on my on that period in my life i think that's what was happening for me and it is quite painful it is quite isolating it is intensely alienating i mean you know and so in my mind like what we're thinking of when we say that we are learning to become an animator of junior youth that we're learning to animate them with uh, like the fire that they can recognize their true identity and and and, and realize a potential that you know, if they were to just listen to the average like YouTuber, they're maybe not getting, they're maybe not getting that, that sort of influence. But, um, so again, I don't want to act like I understand this process fully at all, but, uh, the same process we're talking about with junior youth, I think it's like people of all ages, especially children need to be, um, like our spiritual identities need to be nurtured lovingly by the, by those around us, particularly those who we look up to, whether they're role models or parents, um and the spiritual education of children we've identified as baha'is is is, is essentially it's the most essential thing in the world because they are the future junior youth they're the future youth of the world they're the future adults of the world um and because you know if god is real and anything that baha'u'llah says is true then we have souls and we are souls primarily um and the children actually are all unanimously inherently drawn to spirituality and spiritual ideas of course their minds aren't fully developed they don't maybe have the ability yet to have these like really mature understanding of it but 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 you know that this can be nurtured and it and it, and it can blossom later in life into this um into this incredible faith wedded with intellect and you know you can have just brilliant beings all over the world
0: right <laughs> and if you wanted to you know, become a children's class teacher or a junior youth animator like could you describe these courses? Everyone can do this.
1: Everyone can do this.
0: this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can do this. Mm. Please consider it. You know, it's not easy. True,
0: true. Um, Could you just take a moment to describe these series of courses and, and how they help us enhance the capacity to serve our community?
1: Yes. And so that is like the, the fourth kind of core activity that we refer to in this global plan, this global framework we have of action and, and contributing to the world and community service, uh, so it's it's referred to as the Ruhi Institute, which is Arabic for the soul, isn't it? Um, Ruhi,
0: I think so. I don't know. I think. Yeah, so. let's not
1: let's not be authoritative on that <laughs> okay. one. Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Rather not. Uh, yeah, I remember I took the first book in this course like what just months before I ended up declaring as a Bahai when I didn't think I would be Bahai at all. Um, but you know, the first course you have the opportunity to reflect on the life of the spirit. You're thinking about, um, uh, how contributing to the betterment of the world can be, and maybe needs to be, uh, founded on spiritual principles. You're considering, um, your relationship to prayer and what that means and how it is conversation with God. Um, and then finally reflecting on, um, life after death and the life of the soul and while we wouldn't pretend to be able to know too much about that uh um abdul baha son of baha'u'llah has said i'm not quoting him verbatim here but that, that the the way to acquire spiritual thirst in this life is to meditate on uh life after death because certainly all of us think about it certainly all of us are like hmm what's that whole thing <laughs> is there nothing or something i mean you know all the most brilliant minds and most humble um humble souls in the world think about these things uh and and it's inspiring right i mean it inspires atheists too i think probably actually just as much you know um i mean i really i really admire the this sort of fire for um, understanding reality that that the mind of of a of a scientist has not that not that science and atheism go hand in hand because actually as a baha'i we believe that science and religion have the utmost harmony and unity they're just two aspects of the same truth which is that all reality is one but of course it has different dimensions and aspects and so science is a way to understand physical reality religion true religion of, of which we've seen very little on this earth um, is a manner to uh, investigate spiritual reality, and we need both. And then, and then, if you're inspired, you continue, and later you can learn how to uh, tutor children's classes. You can learn how to animate junior youth. You can host and tutor Ruhi uh, book studies of your own. You know, you you can you can learn about the events of the of uh, of the figures of the Baha'i faith in their lives, which is so inspiring. You can host devotionals of your own. I mean, that's the thing is like we around the world are engaged in a process that we completely want to invite all others into. And we really do mean all. And, and I, you know, I, a great, great percentage, I don't know the percentage actually, but like a great, great percentage of the people around the world who are doing this are not formally identified as Baha'is, you know, although they might, they might really identify with Baha'u'llah himself, you know? So it's like, this is just a process that as Baha'is, we don't have Authority over. We don't have sole interpretation of. We don't have anything special other than we value it. Right. And we encourage others to absolutely to, to investigate whether or not they value it.
0: Absolutely. So we're talking about transforming our communities. We're talking about engaging in discourse and building building capacity. So when it comes to contributing to the unification of your community, what do you what are you most excited about? What gives you the greatest
1: I hope? I think maybe one of the most Tumbling things that i've learned throughout all this is that if you're not building friendships that there what evidence might there be that social transformation is possible because we've seen that like laws can change but if minds and hearts don't then like you know what's going to happen and realistically how do minds and hearts change other than through relationships because they're not you know you can't berate someone who's wrong into understanding that you're right of course that's just that's just has never worked you know and, and I think a lot of the way that people conduct themselves in social justice spaces now, worst case, it's performative, which is to say, you know, you're almost like, in a sense, you're kind of like, you know, preaching to the choir while alienating the congregation. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Um, uh, but best case, I think it's like, it's effective, of course, you know, the ma- like, look, all souls are striving more or less for to, to establish justice in the world, I think, like in their own way, Um, some of it might be quite confused. Some of it might be right on and righteous and rad. And like, we need to learn from them, you know? So I, but I think like the best thing I have to show for these years of service that I've committed to are some great friendships with people who I would not have otherwise met. And, and we love each other and we, you know, support one another at those times of real hardship. And we're from very different corners of the globe, or rather I should say, we're from the same corner of the globe, but from very different stratums of society, all of us. And and we all live in Brooklyn. (laughs) <laughs> you know and brooklyn for me is because it's where i discovered uh the baha'i faith and where i now live with my wife and 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 stepson and just uh you know for me it is a dis- like it's just this portal this dimension this alternate reality where i've discovered you know spiritual service and a spiritual life and it and it feels like this infinite kind of dimension where you just you know you look around you with new eyes every day totally and it's it's beautiful.
0: And you've already kind of touched on this, but this is a global movement that is happening everywhere. everywhere. I mean, I've traveled the world and I've visited Baha'i communities everywhere Yeah, and they are doing and learning about the same things that Anywhere. I'm learning in my community on Commercial Drive in East Vancouver in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and you can jump right in and it takes a while to read the reality, but the process and the learning that they're engaging in, we're just at different phases of that learning, but uh, you know, that depends on that reality. But this process, this global movement is so beautiful because it engages everyone from every strata of society and it's fueled by like everyone around the world. It's a global yeah. movement.
1: I went, to, I went to Manila in the Philippines for press on this like press tour with Netflix. And the first two days I did press, but then the second two days I met up with a Baha'is there who I'd never known, you know, never met. I, I emailed the National Spiritual Assembly, you know, which is akin to like maybe somebody coming to America and trying to email Congress or something like that. And I got a response and they were like, hey, we'll come pick you up from the hotel. I was like, yeah, I'm just a Baha'i from New York. I just want to meet the community and just and so everybody else had advised me to like not go outside because I'm famous and it's dangerous. You'll get are you
0: famous in Manila? Run.
1: I'm extremely famous in Manila. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the and then I met the Baha'is there and they're doing the, We're talking about animating junior youth groups. We're talking about hosting devotionals. We pray together and the, you know it was really cool. It was just like, oh wow, I, we're speaking the same language. And it's the language of the heart, but it's also systematic. What I what I recently called it to, to a friend as we were reading um, a letter from the Universal House of Justice together, thinking about how we commit a life to service and, and, and think about these things. A, a term that came up that we both really identified with, and my friend is not technically a Baha'i, the term we came up with was the science of love. It, this is a scientific method applied, though, to how we express love, how we form bonds of friendship based in a spiritual love that is closer to that unconditional kind of expression of love rather than I like you because of this. And I like you because of that. It's like, no, I like you because, because you are a soul created by God. And if we pray together, we meditate together, we can, we, we, we can experience that intimately and just, just spontaneously with one another. And we can think about where we live and we can think about how we can, serve the people there and it's, you know, it's just, it's it's really beautiful.
0: So I'm, I'm just curious personally, like I, how do, how do your colleagues and how do people in the public respond when you tell them that you are a Baha'i or when you share some of these, these values and the beliefs and, and where they originate from? Are they stunned? Are they weirded out by it? Are they curious?
1: Well, I think on one hand as Baha'is we we think a lot about how others might experience our faith, and then of course we can't really be too concerned with it because we have to be authentic, right? So it's like, I'm not sure how it seems, but I, it does seem. It does seem that when I share these ideas, that they seem to resonate universally. That's how I that's how I was attracted to them. So I trust that process. Um, I also am aware that these words like God and religion have the most baggage of any two words in the world, and I often like to even point that out. One of the things I say when I introduce people to the devotional gatherings is like, I hope that at some point tonight we all feel a little uncomfortable because, you know, that means we're challenging some of our our own ideas and, and I'm always uncomfortable. <laughs> we, you know, sometimes talking about this stuff can be so uncomfortable because we're really trying to do the hardest thing, which is talk about the most important thing, which is what we're even doing on earth. And. We've kind of cast that that main thing aside. We're like, all right, whatever you believe, you believe. Let's just kind of get on with life, right? But I feel like Baha'u'llah is telling us, like, no, we really have to actually consider that question more than any other because then it will inform every other step. It will purify every other step. And so I think it seems to have had that effect in my life. You know, it's not always easy, but I mean, I think it's 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 really galvanized and fortified the relationships I have. And I'm always finding um, creative ways to invite people I'm meeting into the these activities um you know a lot of people from work i was fasting for the first uh, couple episodes of the show because the baha'i fast lasts 19 days and so from sunrise to sunset we don't intake any food or water and the entire period of these 19 days is really considered a time of meditation and prayer of heightened receptivity and sensitivity and we're kind of like we're kind of like fortifying our spiritual pillars for the next year um and uh and man i mean playing joe goldberg (laughs) during that period (laughs) was so intense
0: oh man i can imagine and and,
1: you know but there were i think there were those around me who recognized Mm. like wow he's like really serious about this thing i can
0: just imagine like (laughs) panning panning into your face and seeing your eyes super glazed over and and they're just like, wow, he's so intense. And in your head, you're just like, I'm so parched. Like, I just need a glass of water. Yeah, I'm
1: just, fra- no, but you know, the funny thing, I, I mean, I don't know, I've only fasted, what now, four times. And I fasted before I became Baha'i and I loved it. I just like, I so identify with this whole, like if it wasn't for this, this law that we have to like engage in the world, I would be one of those people who grows a beard and goes to a mountain, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the way, that's my sort of selfish spiritual inclination. Um, so I, I, well, yeah, I mean, of course I get hungry and stuff. I love the intensity of it. And, and I feel like we all do. We, we joke about the, you know, we joke about the hunger, but of course we all know that it's, it's a beautiful, it's a gift. It's such a gift to have this time. You You know, here's actually a great story from season two. Um, one night I'm, I'm literally dismembering a prosthetic body that is covered in real human hair, and fake blood, which is very sticky because it's full of sugar. Um, so it's actually quite sweet.
0: <laughs>
1: and and it's, you know, the middle of the fast. So I haven't broken fast yet because it's not sunset and mm. I'm cutting up this body. Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's so such a, su- uh, by the way, also like on a very sober note, I, I was having a deep experience thinking about the early believers who mm. were executed and tortured. And, you know, I mean, that I was spending all this time with these prosthetic limbs and blood. I mean, it was, it was a deep, I actually like, almost kind of started to cry just now thinking about it because it wow. was so profound. But anyway, I won't even go into that right now. And then, and, but I'm covered in like fake blood, right? Which is very sticky. And so the human hair that is each individually applied to this giant prosthetic body um, is coming off and sticking to my hands. Right. So I, so I have this bright red sugary substance all over my forearms and hands and hair Who's hair? I don't know, but it was hair, <laughs> and and it stuck to my hands and fast breaks, and um, and I and um, I asked the uh, uh, head of makeup. Her name is Amy. We developed a very close relationship because of all the fake blood we had to right. work with this season. Of and I said, Amy, you know I'm fasting. Um, I ordinarily would not ask you or anyone to do this. <laughs> But could you put a date in my no,
0: mouth? No, you did not.
1: <laughs> because my hands,
0: no. my hands were disgusting. You're all about feminism and, and equality, and you're asking women to put dates yeah. in your mouth. <laughs> what is this? <laughs>
1: I know, I know. I was like, at least they're not grapes. Sure, <laughs> I'm not. Um, and then, and then I, and then I, actually, I think in the end she didn't. I think, I think mm-hmm. maybe I just, I think I needed water first. But <laughs> well, but that's it was always a really the best experience. way
0: to. That's always the best way to break a fast. Um, we're coming to the close of our episode with you, Penn. But I was just curious about what's next for you. I know uh, you're really busy. Would love to learn about some of the other projects that you've got on the horizon. Is there anything that you're really curious about exploring? Is there a return to music? Huh. Well,
1: I, yeah. I mean, so creatively, I think like I'm – as an actor, you know, you're really only a vessel. You're really only an instrument. You're not the player. You're not the writer. You're not the director. You're not the editor, even. So I think I'm thinking, I'm thinking about how to create all forms of media, whether it's music or, or a television series, maybe even books. I don't know. But, but really just thinking about how to more, um, seamlessly and directly kind of integrate sort of, more or less everything we've been talking about into the themes of the projects that I'm a part of, you know, because I think the, I think the idea is like, as we look at, as Baha'is, as we, as we recognize these processes of disintegration and integration in society, um, we understand that like a lot of the, the, the world order as it exists, you know, the existing social structures and institutions, they're going to continue disintegrating because they're hollowing out and they don't serve, they don't serve the oneness of humankind. They, 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 they support division and prejudice in so many manners. So they are, as much as they try to reform or facilitate these other processes, they're, they're just going to disintegrate. So as Baha'is, we're thinking about like, what, what is, what are the processes of integration? How do we align ourselves with those contribute to those participate in those? And as a public artist, you know, with some kind of platform and visibility, I'm thinking of like, how, 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 what does this mean? You know, because if I, if I expect as an actor for projects to come along, they're gleaming and glowing with all this kind of spiritual, um, spirituality and potential. I mean, that's just not going to happen. You know, it's like, that's, it's yeah. Like those things don't exist. Those, those, um, obvious processes of integration when it comes to like spiritual themes and matters in like our art, in our mainstream media, of course, that's not like super prevalent, I mean, at the same time, I wept during the first three minutes of the of the the first of the new series of Star Wars because I was like, "This is the story uh, of the Black <laughs> faith. Every good story, <laughs> every story ever, is is you know, one. It's all about it's all about spiritual mm. transformation and forgiveness. You're not the first person and, to have said that. Yeah, um,
0: it's not really my thing. But. Right?
1: It's actually not my thing either. I'm not, I was not a Star Wars person, but I saw it anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, while we do see all of these ideas inherent in storytelling, because frankly, storytelling is just, it's like, you can't even, it's spiritual. It's like, it's, it's invisible. We're, we're, we're making, we're making visible things that were previously invisible. It's so spiritual, but of course, how do we more overtly recognize that and then make it a really useful educational tool? I think, you know, not to teach the Baha'i faith, but to, but but to just kind of like we're talking about all of these activities it's like we just want to include all people in considering these things together and if we believe these things to be true it doesn't only apply to baha'is at all like god loves us all you know his chosen ones are all people of the earth you know so so how, yeah how do, how what does that mean in terms of storytelling and and music making i mean i think like yeah we're all we're uh, i think all baha'is are thinking about that and so i'm just in another one and i'm hopefully gonna be able to make some things <laughs>
0: amazing well we can't wait to check in on you in a couple of years time to see what you've been working on um but pen unfortunately it's come to the end of our episode we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today on cloud nine it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and, thank you for
1: having me so much um,
0: discuss some of these topics that you're extremely passionate about and i really I'm really excited about your future and I want to wish you all the best in your career as an artist and also in your services to humanity.
1: Wow, that makes it all sound so much more important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank well, thank you. you so much. Thanks I mean, so much.
1: it's humbling to be here and I really enjoyed sharing. All the best.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Cloud 9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Bahaiteachings.org where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.